people have more faith in a sat nav than their own brain. And the faith to put a poke over, they go, you take me to me goal. Yeah. yeah? Then, then their own goal, then their own brain. It's mental. Yeah. Because we're just not taught this way of thinking and it's sad. We've got to think towards what we want, not what we don't want. Mm. Yeah? You don't want to come away from it, oh, I want to lose weight. Fuck that, you want to be thin. At least get the fucking message straight. At least face in the right direction. If only they knew the hub for young business minds. Welcome back to the If Only They Knew podcast. Today, I'm joined by Robert Icy, aka The Hypnotist Man, the UK's number one unconscious mind therapist and founder of The Holistic Retreat. Rob, thanks for coming on. How are you? Good? Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Ted. Yeah, I'm great, mate. I'm great today. Good, Been good. enjoying it all, keeping myself busy. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, good. I don't know if you can tell, but I've, uh, I've got a bit of a tan, but I'm sunstroke. I've been out in the sun <laughs> once and I'm in trouble. <laughs> Mackage, yeah. I like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm out every day. I'm like, look at state of me. I'm orange. I've been out in the sun every day. I do about eight miles walking a day. Oh, I'm bloody like, hell, since, yeah. this, since this has been doing me head and all this standing, so I've ended up like Forrest Gump, mate. I started walking and then just never stopped for the last, last <laughs> four or five weeks. No, it's good. But, at, um, least, at least you're getting out. A lot of people are stuck indoors, like driving themselves mad, you know, so it's good you're out and about. That's the plan. That's the plan, said. Yeah. Uh, so before we dive into what you do and all the yeah. high-profile celebs and people you've worked with and sort of managed to grow in your network, if you don't mind, I always say it's important to uh, understand where someone is now, rewind the clocks a little bit and look at where they was brought up and how, how life was like as a, as a young kid. So if you don't mind, what was a, a younger Rob like? A younger Rob was insecure, um, lived in anxiety, I mean, it wasn't all bad. I mean, wrong. I wouldn't change my childhood for the, for the world because mm. it, had its, it had its ups as well, and as well as its downs. But being brought up in South London, Bermondsey, South London, yeah. I mean, mum and dad didn't have fuck all. Do you know what I mean? They had no, yeah. they weren't no money about. Um, and I think growing up, growing up there is um, you're very narrow-minded. Like for me, I didn't really see off the four walls of the estate. Mm. I suppose my biggest vision was as far down as Elephant and Castle to Peckham to New Cross, to Greenwich, that was it. I didn't yeah. know, that, but beyond that, it was, you know, was, I didn't know what that territory looked like because we didn't go no further than that. Mm. We didn't really push the boundaries out of Bermondsey when we was little with kids and that, you know. So, um, growing up around there, it was, you know, no one had fuck all. The only people that had money was the drug dealers or armed robbers. So straight away, your influence is, well, I'm be a drug dealer or a robber because you look at your daddy's grafting full of cement off a building site. You've got fuck all. You, you go out the pub and they give you a bottle of coke and a, bag of Christmas sit in the corner sort of thing and um, mm. yeah it wasn't um, it was so it was you know what I mean it was um, it was uh, I lived on a bottom of the estate um, but yeah there was nothing to say money about and that was it you looked up you looked up to the you looked up to drug dealers and, and, and the armed robbers because that's all that had all the money you know, you know it, it, mm. so what do you want to be you either try to you look at your mum and dad and think fuck that I'll be like you and I'm old or I can, you know, that geese has got all, all the women, all the money, all the nice clothes, like the nice motors, and, it's, and that's, that's the reality of it, really. There ain't much um, inspiration. That's the word I'm looking for. There's not much inspiration around there. And, you know... horrible, isn't it, really, when you think about it? It's stuck in a bubble. It is. It's an absolute bubble. And, mm. But it has its right to be in its own place because this is what I... So I, I love... I'm very proud of being working class, but there's different working class areas, you know what I mean? A lot of our working class... There's a difference. There's a different sort of areas. You know, you start going into the deep south and, you know, you upset someone, you're, it's, it's, it's dangerous right now. It's dangerous. And it's quite, you know, 
I think I learned a lot of my sales skills and stuff through um, being, around, being brought up in the streets. So, I mean, or yeah. down the old Clint Road, you'd be out at night out, you know, you're forever like watching yourself, judging people's um, body language, you know, looking for the exits before, before you even settled down, before you even had a first drink. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so it was, it was, you had its good start times though as well. Like, you can, it had a lot of bad, but, you know, I learned to drive cars by that about 12, all the Nick cars, because I'm our estate. <laughs> They used to bring the Nick cars in there and all that. So when we was like BMXs, my mate would knock on the door on a Saturday and go, well, there's an X, there's a, uh, like, was it about XR2 Golf or something, or uh, something Fiesta, or, you know what I mean? And we'd go down, Nick all the spoilers off it, Nick all the batteries, and his older brother used to give us a fire, but he probably had it, he probably had it right off it. But we were so yeah. fit, we put out all the blur punt speakers and the, you know, and then go and sell it to them. But it was like, it was great, because no one come on our estate, it was such a shit. Or even when I was a kid on the Bonu, I used to get a cab back from Broccoli. I went to a working man's club with my dad and that. We used to get a cab back. They used to go, I ain't going on there, mate. We used to go, we've got two kids here, mate. You can't let you in. No, I ain't going on there. I'll drop you here. My oh, dad yeah. had like carried my sister through the estate and things because of oh. how it looked. But it actually, it looked worse than what it was. Hmm. But what I mean is it's a well to its own. That's why people, I think, get the fear factor because, you know, the police don't come into it around there. Right? Hmm. If you're on the estate and you have a fight at someone and you call the police or something happens, Hey, that's that's you ruined. That's your old family ruined for the rest of the rest of your life. So, no one grasses because if they do, if they, if they're going to get to end up moving away. So, you know the law is on it on the streets, and it is, and that's how it is. There's, there's its own laws there. So, you know, I, I was I was happy to get out. I couldn't wait to move out as I got old and see the light. But it took me a go through a lot before I see the see the light. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. once I got, I love Bermondsey. I love going back. I love going near walls to my mates, but. It wasn't what I wanted for my boys. Do you know what I mean? I wanted them to get out and, and uh, yeah, it was the same I personally wanted to do was to get out, get out and um, see the rest of the world. And I think everyone should do it anyway, don't matter what area you're from. You should want to move out and, you know, stand born and, born and raised in an area. You know, you want to, you've got to go and see the world. You've got to go and experience, you know, where, where's it right for you? You know, mm. what's, what's, don't know where you're in that. Yeah, but, but before we get on to how, how you sort of got out of Bermondsey, if you want to put it that way, um, that, I think it's important to note, like, obviously I'm from Bermondsey as well, and obviously all my mates are from that area. And you're right, like, you learn so much that you wouldn't learn if you was born anywhere else, even, like, a few blocks down the road, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's completely Definitely. different. Like, even with, like, the boxing and stuff, there's so many good boxers in, in Bermondsey and coming out of Bermondsey and so many good businessmen because it's sort of like you're by yourself, so you just, you're, you're made so much stronger. Like you went Lynn, didn't you, as well, and, and Fisher? That's why yeah, I, I, I started at the Fisher as a kid, and then I mm. went to Lynn, and that's when I had my first bats at the Lynn, yeah, down over um, the other side of Wharf Road there, you know. I think it comes out of the world, I'm not sure, but yeah, I boxed for the Lynn and a few about four fights, I think. And then, you know, you find girls and a bit of a bit of puff, and that was it, like, we were out the window, a cut of tins just there, and that was the truth of it, you know. Let's score yeah. 14. Yeah. Um, UK's number one unconscious mind therapist now, so it proves to you that it doesn't matter where you come from, that if you can get a vision. Now, honestly, please, my biggest dream, my dream is to, to go back to um, South London um, and fund a UMT centre. This is my big dream, like unconscious, unconscious mind therapy centres, yeah? For kids between, like, I don't know, age of eight up to, I don't know, 19 or something, yeah? yeah? But on a one in... Like Burns is my first one, it's my own brand, it's close to my heart. But I'd like to take them to like Toxteff, Liverpool, Mossiah, Manchester, you know, um, East End of Glasgow. And I want to set all the proper working class areas because when I was a kid growing up, I remember, I remember thinking, 
why don't no one give a fuck about us? Like, we don't have no swings in the park that are ripped out of the oil when that board down the slides. And it sounds like it's bollocks, but it's the truth. That's how it, that's how it was. It was a, it, people don't really, the, the working class don't get the help they need. It's, it's, it's just not there. It's just the focus, the learning. So they haven't even got the ability to talk to us working class kids. You know, when I was at school, I was a little fucker over in Scott Lidgey, I went, if a, if a, if a like a, some sort of, I don't know, cancer or whatever you want to call it, a, when you was naughty and that, you got these bugs coming in their suit, you wouldn't take notice of them. They didn't, you could not fall with these people because they're not from your world. You're so far apart when they're sitting there, they're sitting there going, so Robert, why did you commit that misdemeanor? I go, go and fuck off your nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, it would be horrible to him. He'd get in yeah. the geezer because that's, that's just how it was. You wouldn't see fucking talk to him. You wouldn't, you know, you'd have, you'd have more respect for the game teacher, believe it or not, because he'd be like one of the chaps. All right, boys, all right, come in. Because yeah. he's just spoken your language, you felt a bit more of a poor and he, he could get you, he could get the best out of you. A couple mm. of other teachers, you know what I mean, who are a bit more from from the working class, that you'd they'd always be able to build rapport with you a bit more, you know? Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, it's a big thing in teaching today. We need to get people to understand rapport a bit more, you know? Yeah, definitely. And like you said, like I've spoken to a lot of people from your generation that went to similar schools, all in Bermondsey and the surrounding areas, that type of thing. And a lot of them, they just didn't care about school because they couldn't, they couldn't see past school. Like school was just whatever. I'll just move this, on to school and do what my dad does. School, you were stupid if you don't know what school. Because you got bullied. You was a mug. You're like, mm. to us, but anyone doesn't go to school, dickheads, they're boffins. Yeah. And that's backwards mentality. It really is. I used to go down my cousin's house in West Kingsley, Dan. Yeah, I really want to go to university and college. I used to think, what the fuck do you want to go there for? Yeah. I couldn't honestly, couldn't get me a brand it. To be honest, the last place I can't wait to get. Like, and that was how it was because the only kids that done were trying to do well at school, well, they'd get bullied where we're from in our manner. It was the fact they'd get bullied, or you know, they were like the boffins and like South, South East of London ain't a place to have, be a boffin. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, they, especially in my school, it was all boys, and um, they closed my school down when I was 13. I thought, well, just 13, 14 minutes before I went Blackie for Blue Cubs. They closed it down, and they pushed me into Blackie for Blue Cubs. And that was just a no-go. That was never going to work for me. That was like a normal school. Like school it was so bad, it told you to wear a uniform and you ain't wearing it. Like the old school, there was nothing they could do. And then they had to close it down. Yeah. Um, it, was ter- it was terrible, it was. But it was great. It was more like, you could bunk off what lesson you want, do you know what I mean? And mm. just one of them sort of schools. But um, yeah, when I went to I'd go to a proper school and I wasn't allowed to speak in class, I was like, fuck this. I was climbing out the windows. And I just couldn't handle it. It, was like, it felt, felt like I was in prison to me. I didn't know at the time I had ADHD anyway. Yeah. I never knew I had ADHD until I was 37. I knew I was like dyspraxic, dyslexic. We knew that, but um, I never knew I had ADHD until I was 37 years old. So it all makes sense now. Well, I can sit still and like, that would like send me, send me crazy. Mm. I mean, I seen my first stab in at 11, my first year in at 15. Um, and, you know, and much more as you move on. You know what I mean? I've got, you know, as you get through life in there, you're going to, it's just the way it is around there. And, and the thing is, I've got people I grew up with who could who could be great businessmen. Like, if you could take their mind from drug dealing and put them into business, these buds would have never they'd have been they'd worth fortunes. They'd be worth they'd be much more, worth more. So, won't have to look over their shoulder. They'd be able to, you know, once they sussed how to work the system and how to pay your tax and how to, they would have been flying. If be, so, I believe the thing of working class kids is they're hungry. They'll stab you for 20 quid. You owe someone 20 quid out of principle, they're going to stab you. Mm. Just to say, don't mug me off so no one else knocks them, yeah? So if they've got that hunger and that focus, imagine what, how these kids could be. If you could teach them how to visualise, how to create their future and get a passion 
to move forward, they're going to go at it like no one else will. There's no middle class, upper class kids going to go hungry for what he, what he wants. And that's like me. I found my passion. I see it. And then no one can tell me what, no one tells me what the fuck I'm going to be. I, you know, I don't work for no one else. If I want 10 weeks holiday a year, I fucking have them. No one can tell me what to do anymore because I found my vision. I created what I wanted to create and move forward. And, and that's what we can all do, Ted. That's what we can all do. But, and, but what's stopping people then? What's stopping the kids of today? Limiting beliefs. What is it? Ill beliefs. Limiting beliefs. Limiting, limiting beliefs. What you see is what you become. Mm. Listen, if you surround yourself with idiots, it's nine times out of ten you're going to become a fucking idiot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This is how it works. Mm. And if you're around people who ain't got no vision and living in fear, you're going to become someone who's got no vision and live in fear. And then you get these limited beliefs. You can't do that. Hey, you can do it. They got no money. Mm. Don't be a mug. You're never going to, you know, wasn't born with a, you know, wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Now I've got what, and it's all this bollock. People start pity talk. How hard it is. Everyone, everyone I noticed in South London when I was a kid, we, we was proud of how hard it was. Mm. We brag about how hard it is for us growing up and all that. What the fuck are we doing? We're just focusing on more hardship. We're attracting more hardship into our life. We actually felt good that we had it hard. Now, what the fuck are you doing, man? Let's focus on having it easy. Let's focus on you know success and you know what cars you want or the houses you want. Mm. Look, it's it's, it's the mentality of you live in fear. You come out your front door. You don't know how to get to the shop. With, like, you know, don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes you've had a row another few gang from Peckham and they're on your estate and you know they're lurking about and you've got to get over. You just go and get a pint of milk and make you anxious. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In, in, in some times in my life growing up. Then other times you, you weren't as anxious. You grew up, grew into age and then you sort of become the next, the old generation. And they all sort of moved on to work and you were sort of running the streets at eight and your little gang was the sort of... But then even, even though it's... Um, it's um, I want to change it. You know I mean, I want to change it for my, for the world. You know, the life learnings you get, but also I wouldn't like it to stay the way it was. And I think mm. we need to help bring vision into kids on the council stage because, as I say, limiting belief. So, a limiting belief is something that you believe. Like someone might have a limiting belief about money. Like, um, yeah, but everyone with money is a prick. They're all stuck up their own ass. They've got people with money think they're the but. All of a sudden, you just created a limiting belief. Why, are your, why is your unconscious now going to go and attract loads of money? Mm. I mean, you've got all these unconscious beliefs that, you know, you're stuck up, you're up your own arse, you, you know, you don't care about no one, you know, and all that. Um, and then you get people say things like, oh, I don't want to be rich. Because their limiting beliefs about money is so bad, they just go, I don't want to be rich, I just want to be happy. As long as I've got a car and a dog and a house, that'll do me. Because like, that's the biggest they can get to, and that's fine. I mean, I'm knocking no one for where your visions are. But it is like a limiting belief where you limit your own your own self, you sort of see yourself through other people's eyes. You've seen people try and fail, so you think you're gonna try and fail. You see, no, you do, and you see it through your own eyes, your own experiences, and we seem to focus on what we don't want to. Mm. We seem to focus on the failure and what went wrong instead of how to move forward and you know create have, to create the goals, and that's what I'm really into. But how comes, I'm curious, how comes you didn't sort of end up as the other lot, if you want to put it that way, the ones out there causing trouble. How comes you sort of went into a band and you, you're doing what you do now? I, I was I was always in bands. Mm. I was always I was into music. I was like Happy Mondays growing up at the age of 11, 12, Stone Roses. And I learned to play the guitar really young because I was so because I was so naughty at school and I could play the guitar. I, didn't, I only got into the guitar to get out of maths. <laughs> Shit, well, fuck that, Miss Maths, blinder. And I loved all the Beatles and all that when I was that age, 11 years old. When I picked the guitar up, I could just sort of do it. Like, not, yeah. not great, but I could, like, compared to the other kids who just picked it up, they just couldn't pick it up. And, like, I could just pick it up, and I enjoyed it. And um, my dad made me go to extra lessons during the week because he said, if you're going to do shit at school, you've got at least this is something to fall back on. He's played the guitar, you've got to nick a few quid. Because back in them days, 
before like you know there were still like bands in pubs and you know mm. there was bands everywhere and you could you could always earn a few quid playing music and so he thought like as long as I keep pushing once this little went to this little private learning school after school a few once once or twice a week um, had some private lessons once or twice a week now and again um, and yeah and that's what I've done I just got my got my skills on the guitar but during that time I still hung about over Southern Park and walking around downtown and we went on mad rampages and got up to all sorts of things like thieving and fucking silly stuff like that um, we were all puffing all the time um, then you yeah I, I say loads of shit happened I mean what happened to me is I had a bit of trouble I was in the, a, a, a bar called a bar called from the night game on Old Kent Road Right, yeah. And it all kicked off. It all kicked off in there. It was about, we must have been about, not, I'm not even joking, 80, 90 Andy. There was all the boys we knew. Was, but this, so for some reason, everyone sort of left and went over to Gym Palace. But I was standing in there. I was like, nuts, to be honest with you. I remember my pal was having a good one. And I was talking. So I'll be over in a minute, in a minute. Some trouble um, got, got a band. As, during, the, during this scuffle, someone's glassed me. So I've grabbed a bottle and missed one to bottle and I'm not smashing it around the bouncer's head, cut his face. Then they just kick shit out of me, mate. They just bat on me in about, I got battered really about oh, 45 yeah. minutes. And um, they dragged me out the back of the back of the club. They were kicking me around the, I couldn't see out this side. Claret coming inside there. This one, I could only see that. I, I was basically blinded because it was so swollen. This side was like squinted, I could just about see. I, my rib broke. Um, yeah, and I just got, got pounded mate for about 45 minutes off these bands with Dr. Martins I was in it um, it's a funny story though because as I got up right, I got the geese going after they battered me they get, the owners come down this, I think they were Dharma he, he owned another pub around the corner Final Furlong he come down and went not in my club not in my fucking club and I'm like black I mean I'm only 18 years old at the time like, I'm skinny as anything at the time and I've got up it's the right blind story as it goes I'm out the back of this thing. I've looked, I've got to look to my right where the door is, like where they dragged me through. I'm all right down the back and back and the They've got him near the door and they're holding him like that. And in the way I've cut him there, he's just covered in blood there. They're going, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. This bird's come walking along down the stairs where I'm thinking, oh, good, she's going to help me get out of here, right? <laughs> she must have gone 18 stone, this bird. She's come down, earring for her nose, and all the birds. What have you done to my boyfriend? Look, oh, boom, stuck his right on me. I went, <laughs> hit the penny again. Fucking <laughs> off, all dropped me out. She's opened the back. She's opened the back of the thing. I jumped over the bar. So I jumped over the bar. Anyway, I run home. Like silly little murders and that. After I was just getting like that. But then that was the day I realised I weren't one of them because mm. I was having nightmares about hurting him. Even though someone glassed me, and it was all I was only protecting myself. I was waking up feeling sorry for it. I was like, ah, poor cunt. And that's when I knew that ain't my bait, me, mate. I ain't cut out for that. Like some of my mates would do things like that, and they go, "Ah, oh, you lost your cherry." <laughs> you know what I mean, the, the, the guy stabs him. Like, hey, you lost your cherry. Well, they think, you know, they didn't even give a shit. They yeah. go straight, straight out. And for me, I just didn't, I didn't have it. And that's when I thought, nah, fuck this. This ain't, that ain't me. I ain't cut out for that. And I, that's when I really started focusing on my music at 18. And that's what changed my direction, I think. Because um, I'd have definitely been, I mean, yeah, I'd have definitely been, probably done stupid things, ended up in trouble. But I ended up focusing on my music more then and made the shift. And then, then all of a sudden it started to flow and the energy started getting good and we started bringing people from the area together. So some like, when it first started out, it wasn't known because you had the boys downtown, and walk Jamaica Road, you'd have people off the bottom maybe. So everyone had come together. So you could imagine it was going off the first, yeah. first couple of gigs we'd done, it was off. Because uh, it was just people, 
because you got it was just like the place to be instead of the real music lovers coming. Yeah, you'd get the people that loved all the ass music and that. So just all the pods because everyone who was a favourite. So it'd go off the first few nights. I was in the in the in a pub called the Prince of Orange, one of our first, second or third gig. Uh, mate, it was like I was on the stage, it was like a western. I see pods going over the pool table, <laughs> but like it was just carrying on. That was the one what took all the donuts away. Mm. And after that, it was only the sensible ones who liked music. And there were still proper chaps in there and that, but they liked, they did like the music. And then the scene started happening around there. We had like a little Bermondsey beat thing going on. Mm. And um, the scene started and um, it, was, it was brilliant. It was, Ted. We started touring up all the way around Bond and all around the Bermondsey pubs. And we got over the West End, we had like a famous, like a boat gig up and down the Thames. We'd go yeah. on the Andrew Club West End. And we're like, we got barred from the Andrew Club. That was another one. So we took mm. two, um, what is it, like two double-decker buses over. No with Bermondsey chaps. You can imagine oh, it, yeah. mate. Well, the first gig, we got away with it. The second one, they done all the bouncers. Every single bouncer got, we tried giving it to them. <laughs> I, I can imagine, yeah. A, a whole band, you're never playing here again. But we, he said, when we first played there, they said, the geezer said to me, this hasn't been as packed as much as this since the 80s when the Buzzcocks played there. So I was oh, quite yeah. proud about that. Do you know what I mean? But... Yeah. It was, it was great days, they were good, they were good days. Like, and what happened to it? Then? Was, it, it seemed to be doing well. And from when I was like looking them up, all the newspapers and all the, like, all the reports on it are saying next big thing, massive. What happened it to was, it? What happened? It was hard in them days because it wasn't like Facebook or nothing. We had Facebook, we would have, anyone said we had Facebook then, we would have cleared up. It would have gone viral everywhere. It was all back in the day, only record companies run everything. They were the only ones that could push you out. And, we had a problem with it. We had a sort of falling out of their manager. Um, I got me, 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 Mrs. Pregnant, and then it just changed the whole thing. Like our work, and then these boys went to their own separate way a little bit, and we was raring and the usual, you know, end of end of a end of a thing. You know what I mean? It was just one of them took its natural, its natural. Natural death, I suppose, but I was gutted because it was like a grieving process for me when that was over. Because I had so many, so much on it, I sort of wish years later I never, I never give up. But you, what can you do? You got to put, you got to put, um, you know, your kids first. If you, once you have a baby, that's it. Sure. Yeah. Because there was a lot of, um, a lot of suffering to go through being in the band because you never had no money. The old man had to support me a little bit and go like, you know, don't go to work, but you can have your gyro. But then. You know, you got a gig practice. We practiced five days a week, and that it was brilliant. It was, it was good. It was good, wasn't it? But so yes, yeah, so I come through the band scene, and then um, I moved out in the end. I moved out to sea cup and I was about got up to I just went to paint and decorating and things like that, plastering, mm. and um, moved out. And that was an eye opener when I moved out to sea cup. Coming from them, sort of coming from Bermondsey, I was I moved above a flat on sea cup Ice Street, right. And it was so quiet. It was the high street. The fucking yeah. sick up high street. At night, it was so quiet. I was walking around with a big jerk like that, looking out the window, anxious, feeling anxiety. It was dark in the alleyway coming down my stairs. Like, I'm not used to darkness. Yeah. In Bermondsey, it's lights everywhere, isn't it? Go walk four o'clock in the morning, for whatever time of night. There's always lanterns and street lights. Mm. I wasn't used to it. I was like, I thought I was out in the country. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it made me more anxious. It did for the first week. I couldn't even sleep properly. And then I got used to it and I started picking up. You know, I real that opened my eyes moving out there because it realised the world ain't that bad, the world ain't that violent, the world ain't that aggressive, the world's actually chilled out. Yeah. People can have a joke, people can actually take a joke out here. 
remember some people were saying a few things, thinking, God, that was a bit much. Where I was, my pals were being brought up, they would go, you fucking told me to. But it was a bit more light-hearted out in Kent and that when I moved out. I thought, wow. It took me a bit of adjusting like, from, um, i say, that world into normality, really. It took me a while to adjust it. but And that's when I really started, you know, as, as years went on, started getting into the mind and that, you know? Well, that's what I was going to say. How did you sort of get into that then? Because I've, since I moved out of Bermondsey a couple of years ago, like I said, exact same thing. Started realising, oh, the world's a bigger place. People aren't uh, sort of on oh, 24-7 and all that, yeah. And I started getting into mindset. I started meditating, breath work, all that. So how did that sort of look for you? What did you get into first? Was it simple things or what? I was in sales, yeah? Mm. I was in sales and I, I blagged the sales job. I knew I left school, so I just blagged this sales. I lost the business. I lost the business at a courier company. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I just, mm. you know, I've always been a go-getter. So I just tried, just tried it. You know, um, it was a recession about 2006. And, um, yeah, so I got knocked, obviously. The couriers ain't getting fucking paid. And that was it. All these companies going liquidation. So they, they fucked me up. I was fucked. So I uh, sold me a couple of bands and just about made, made me move to my new house out in West Kingsdown. And, um... Anyway, my, my, when you'll be good at sales, or I haven't got into sales, you've got to try it. I, I'll fucking have a go. She put me in this agency. I went to this meeting, cut the story short, started working for the Flemish. Um, they trained me up, and I just found it easy. I'm used to building sites. I'm going, an Irish guy's going, get down a fucking ladder, you little prick, every fucking. Do you know what I mean? All of a sudden, I'm sitting there drinking tea with a cup of coffee and wearing a suit. I'm like, loving it, yeah. a credit card to buy lunch and thinking, it's right, you get paid for this. Yeah. And it took, and like, remember when I was trained, I couldn't believe. What we was getting paid to do, like go around, talk to someone, and then get in, your, get in the car, company car they give you, or the company petrol car. I was like, this is fucking, I've had it off here. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I got into that, and there was a company called Vinyl and a company called um, Markelux out in Germany. Yeah? And um, I thought, I'm working for them, they were the best in the industry. Mm. I thought, I'm going to work for them one day. So I was sort of visualizing every time I see them at the, the German um, trade shows and shit. I thought I'm gonna be there one day. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be part of that. And I always had this vision in me that that's gonna be, I'm gonna be one of them companies. And I wasn't doing it on purpose at the time. Um, then, kind of two years on that, and I got a phone call one day. Got Ed on and said, "Look, we want to meet you." So I got, I got in. Basically, I got a job for these Germans. I doubled my salary, gave me fucking Mercedes, two extra grand on my credit card, save people out for dinner, and I had flying to Germany. I thought, yeah, well, that's lovely, right? So I cleared up with them. And the governor, Tilo Weinemann, was very into that. He could talk to anyone. Like, he was just such a genius as well, but he could talk to anyone. And um, he taught me, so on the road, he taught me some sales techniques out on the road. I used to be interested in like Zig Ziglar, all these old American sales trainers, yeah? And I used to listen to him, and I used to go and put it to practice. And I started noticing he knew what his keys, he knew what he was doing, he was a genius. And I thought, the only, he's talking about NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, right? Mm. And so many little techniques. I fucking love fell in love with them, right? This is amazing. So I went on and do the course. The only reason I've done it, and people go, oh, what? how did you become a therapist? If I'm going to come out with some fucking heroic story. I've done it because I wanted to be like Darren Brown. I wanted to manipulate people for more money. So our kids got better holidays and more, and I could get better, bigger bonuses. Shit. That was it. There was no, there was no, I'm going to love the world at that time. Yeah. Because yeah. I was still insecure myself and still built up on these um, limiting beliefs. That money, you know, money's everything. And like, I was, you know, had this sort of no passion. It was all about the, the money. And when I started, um, I started learning about NLP. And then that was the first, the first unconscious mind therapy I got into. 
now I can teach it. So I've done my practice, my masters, and now I can teach it as well. So um, then I went into therapy, stage hypnosis, Buddhism. I went and studied. I've got a tattoo there, and Nitram Buddhism, what Tina Turner does, and I'm your whole I went and done like meditation with monks. I mean, I just want to find out anything about the mind into the unconscious mind. What are they all doing the same? You know, what does successful people all do the same? What does someone who has got, you know, got anxiety, what do they all do the same? What's their thought process? What's underneath all the bubbles that's exactly the same in their mind? And what's the, what's the process of thought? So I started looking into the process of thinking and um, instead of the content, like psychotherapy and um, CBT. So um, I started learning, I learned all this stuff. And then I started making my own models. I've had enough tools to start making my own models of um, success up so I'd take someone's good technique and I'd make it better yeah. you know what I mean and because you learn these skills in NLP it's called modelling it's one of, like Anthony Robbins that's all he really ever done Anthony Robbins they, they give it all he's a genius he had to learn modelling first before he could model and make his own techniques up yeah that makes sense so yeah so that's, that's, that's how it started but when I when I started training I worked with a guy called Robert Dilts this was the day when because I was still inside. I still feel like I'm worthless, piece of shit. Dyslexic, I think I'm a fraud. I think I'm fake. I should be. I blagged this job. It ain't real. Right? You know, I ain't really good enough to be sitting down with these university graduates. Even though my sales were through the roof and no one could keep up with me. I, I closed up a company down I used to work for. That and move out of the UK. And it just cleared up. Yeah. So even though I was like my proof that I was the best, in my head, I was a, I was a, a, it was a lie. Do you know what I mean? And when I worked with this guy, Robert Dilks, he went to me. He's the best in the world of NLP. And I, started, I was with him, like I got a few months to work with him alone. And he started stripping back. He went, what makes you happy? I went, money, right? <laughs> Straight away. What you, what, save it all the money, what would you buy of it? I said, I'd buy a Rolex, a new, a new Ferrari, a fucking... Then, if, then what, would you, what would make you happy then? I said, well, a, a nice big massive mansion, swimming pool for me kids to go private. Then what would you have? What would make you happy then? And he kept on and on and on and on. In the end, mate, I had asses in California, asses in Dublin. He just kept going on. And in the end, I was thinking, is he fucking winding up? He's getting right on my nerves, right? I couldn't get where And in the end, he took me to a place where money didn't matter, where I had everything. Mm. He got me to a like, and, and I sort of stripped it all back. Where I had all my Rolexes, I had all the cars, I had all the money, all the kids were fine, I got this, got businesses, asses in the buy, asses there. And he went, now what would make you happy if you had, you had all that, you didn't need nothing else. What makes you happy then? What makes you smile? I'll tell you what, it was the hardest question. I've ever answered in my life. Yeah, yeah. I sat there and I was like, and I sat there and I remember it come to me and just went, the only thing I could think of is I like making other people happy. Mm. Like, if I can see someone, make someone take the piss out of myself to see you smile, I'll do it, ten, I'll do it tenfold. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I'd come out of clubbing when I was 15. I'd give the tramp my last 20 quid and walk home from Oxford Street. But I've done that more than, more than, more than, more than often I would do things like that. Mm. And I realised, I don't make no people happy. And I realised it was because I had so much low, low self-worth because when I was on the front of me, my mates, my neighbour, like Next and Bennyan, right, it's nothing. But then, it was like Dolce & Gabbana or something. I was like, fucking hell, it was like they were wearing a pair of boots on. Do you know what I mean? It was like, oh, I had to go down East Lane Market. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I never felt good enough, even on the council state where everyone was skinned. Do you know what I mean? I, I felt lower than... And when you're a kid, you're nasty, didn't you? Yeah, you're tramp, you're fucking... Like, that's what we do. We call each other tramp team. Just that it was just it's just kids in it, really. I think that's all over the world. We can be spiteful, but so I had this low self worth, and I discovered that I don't want no one else to feel this low self worth. That's why I do what I do. Mm. I know what it's like to be 
to feel like a worthless piece of shit. You're thick, you're dyslexic, you know, you don't fit in. And that's why I do what I do now, because I, I, like, I don't want no one else to feel that low self-worth the way I did. And once I found that calling, mate, and I, that was it, everything changed. I just left my job mm. like a fucking idiot, to be honest with you. I should have thought about it a bit more. I overreacted. Because <laughs> I was in shit for about six months, like bad. I just walked away from it. And my dad went to me, what are you doing, you mug? You could, I, I could have done anything I wanted. I was managing the South East of England. I didn't have to go work. Yeah. I said, but how can I be, I went, how can I be doing what I'm teaching? How can I be practicing what I'm teaching? I ain't doing it myself. I ain't living my dream and telling other people they've got to visualize. I'm still working for someone else. Hmm. But I should have been, I should, I'm a bit big pictured, you know what I mean? I jumped at the same. I should have really <laughs> done it on the sly a bit more and sort of worked, wormed it, like blended it in, but I never, I just went for it. So, but then I don't regret because it caused me problems. It stuck me in the deep end. Hmm. It made me swim. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do, do you believe in like destiny or something? I know it's a bit of a hard hitting question, but do you believe in destiny or how do you sort of see that? You create it. Yeah. I don't believe in that bullshit. Yeah. Oh, all this shit where people go, oh, you know, what's meant to be won't pass you by. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what, what's meant to be for me is what I create inside there. Mm. Do you know what I mean? No? If you're sitting waiting for saying destiny, you like, it's like, imagine having a ship and you put it out at sea and there ain't no fucking captain on it. Yeah. What's going to happen to the ship? <laughs> fuck go anywhere, can not it? It might end up on land one day. Who knows? Who knows yeah. where it's going to go? Fuck that. I'm the captain. I want to drive this bad boy. I want to get the fucking... Caribbean and have a little mooch about and pop over to Australia and see, you know what I mean? But is that so? Is that where the RAS is? It RAS comes in the reticular RAS system, yeah, the reticular activating system. So before we go into that, if for people listening at home, you first of all got to understand that everything gets made twice. Yeah, everything gets created as a thought inside the mind, then it gets created outside here as a thing or you know reality. So. If you look around your room, you're in there, Ted, yeah? Mm -hmm. See if you can find me anything that never started first as a vision in the human's mind, as a thought, except for what comes from nature and the earth in its original form. So mm. except for trees, plants, cats, dogs, wind, rain, sand, snow, and all that shit, yeah? Except for that, see if you can find anything that never started as a thought. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. And if you look in the inside and outside of every building of Kent and London, you have the inside and outside of every building, except for what comes from nature and the earth in its original form, See if you can find anything that ne never started as a thought. You ain't gonna find anything mm. because bricks, mortar, you know, a screw, a wallpaper. There's not a wallpaper tree. There's not a clothes tree. You know, we're creators. This is what human beings do. We're, this is this is what intelligence is. Don't believe this bollocks about fucking um, um, academic intelligence. Acad the academic. If your dream is to be a doctor, that's good. And it, it, academic intelligence is part of your dream. That is good. But academic intelligence is really going to make you a good worker for someone else's dream so i never went as i've left school at 14 i never went um i never passed <coughs> any excuse me i never passed it at any exams i never went university but i paid people to work for me that did do you know what i mean <laughs> i paid them to work for me there's a good boy i mean you can't do my cans i'm gonna look after my mums there's a cat left bad boy there's a good boy now who's thick who's intelligent yeah he, he can be, oh, i've been at university i've got my hat on he's getting 30 grand a year i spend on that on holidays do yeah. you know what i mean yeah. So, you get what I'm saying? So, it ain't about the money, ain't, money doesn't determine who you are either. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, if that's what they're looking for, you ain't doing a good job at it. You know what I mean? If, why well, don't pick a job for money because I ain't going to get you pick a job that's something that's going to make you feel good about yourself. Because at the end of the day, we're animals, yeah? We either work on pleasure or pain basis. We're motivated by pain. If we're so, 
sometimes people get so fat they think that's it I'm not doing it no more I've had enough and they'll just get a vision and that pain will, inf- and that will, pain will pull them let that be their motivation then other people say yeah I look good I'm a good looking fella I know I'm going to look even better you wait to see so just to look the looking better is the motivator yeah, mm. than what they are so you can have one like a woman with her makeup so if one put makeup on to make herself look better they think oh, I look lovely today why put your makeup on I'm going to look lovely so she's she just going to look better the other girl looks in the mirror and goes, oh, I've got to cover this up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> they're both going to get a pleasure from it, but she, the, the pain's motivating her underneath. Mm. They're both moving towards pleasure. So, we've got to have um, pleasure in what we do. We've got to have... Because what a lot of people do is they'll go... The questions with which we ask yourself, Ted, they'll say, Ad, um, why can't I lose weight? What a fucking stupid question to ask yourself. I mean, people just... Why can't I lose weight? I can't never lose weight. What happens is your brain will go, okay, I'll find the answers for that question. You ain't looking for, uh, you can lose weight. Of course you can. Don't talk back to you like that. It go, because you're fat and you're greedy. You're a greedy bastard. You're too much like your mother. She was was big. You're never going to change. It runs in your family. You're going to get this abuse. Mm. But that's what you've asked for. You've sent it in there to find it. Why can't I lose weight? Because you're fat, greedy, and you're... You're never gonna, you never lose weight. You can't do diets. All this stuff's gonna kick in your head. They're not intelligent questions. You should ask what you want in the future. Like, how can, how can I lose weight and feel good about it at the same time? Because mm. now you're asking your unconscious mind, which is your emotion as well as your cognitive mind. You know, mm. so you're working the two. You're working the two. So you've got to find pleasure in what you're doing. Because diets don't work because they put too much restriction in. They restricted from crisp, chocolate, a, a curry, pie, mash. You can't have a you can't have a Chinese at McDonald's. You can't go out a beer with your mates. So there's so much restriction. The restriction becomes so much more painful than you feeling fat. So you try to do it, but then the restriction breaks and they blow up again, yeah? Mm. So it's because they're not finding pleasure in what they're doing. So with visualizations, yeah? When I say everything gets made twice, first inside here is a fault, and outside here is a thing. We have to create our goals inside here. So I'm in California every morning, California every night visualizing my TV shows every morning, every night, they all, things are starting to, things are coming into reality. You know? I've already created the, the, the retreat, it's in yeah. Spain, but I want to see it in California. So you have to create this vision because the unconscious mind doesn't know what's real and what isn't, Ted. So as you visualize your future, your, your unconscious mind doesn't know what's real and what isn't. So when you close your eyes and visualize your future, it creates this image and you create the emotion of what you're seeing. Mm. It's about 34%. Yeah. And you practice this. So people close their eyes and start to smile. So I'll get people with overweight. I go, how, how often do you visualize yourself in the future? And they'll go overweight. People will go, I don't. Or some of them go, yeah, I do it all the time. I go, oh, do you? I do you now. And I know they don't because they won't be fat. So I go, so do you? I go, so what image do you see? And they go, well, about 15 years ago, I got married and I was about, I said, I never asked you that question. I never asked you how you used to look. Mm. I say, how often do you visualize yourself in the future? It's a big difference. If you look back and remember how good you looked, that's going to remind you that you don't know. So you ain't going to get a good feeling. Do you know what I mean? I know I've looked good back then, Ted. What am I saying? I don't look as good now, Ted. Yeah. I had so much energy back then, Ted. What am I saying unconsciously in the moment? So you're not accessing any motivation. You're getting a low self-worth feeling. When you close your eyes and you see yourself in the future looking good, you start to smile. You go, how, how does he look in the future, Ted? You'll go, yeah, he's a nuts. He looks, <laughs> he looks happy, content and you're going to start getting a positive and you create a pull yeah. so the past is no good for nothing if you walk forward looking backwards what will happen yeah bang right. <laughs> yeah. Bang right. you're in the number wouldn't you like you go what are you doing that for Ted that was silly but 
this is what people are doing mm. with their mind. They want to they want to create their future by looking backwards and overcoming their problems every fucking day and yes. thinking about how bad they've done this before. I don't want to do that bad again in the future. Mm. You've already put your filter on it. So everything gets made twice. Like Miami Dali, the age of um, 18, he wins the Olympics and says, I am the greatest. I'm the next heavyweight champion in the world. I'm the greatest bucks this world's ever going to be. Now, Ali, when you study him, he was visualising at the age of 12. He said, when I was about 12 years old, skipping, I'd be out running. I'd be visualising, I'm out the belt, knocking people out. And then, you know, when he, went, when he was on the, on the ropes, we'd do the same thing. When he was on the punch bags, we'd visualise. He said, every day I visualised I was in up the world championship belt and, you know, combinations and so on. The time he got to 18, he didn't want to win the Olympics. He expected to. He was the only kid in that Olympics who weren't wanting. Who yes. weren't wanting it. He programmed his body so much. He was looking through the Olympics to being the greatest. Straight away as w, um, WBC world champion. He was visualising that already. He didn't mm. care about it. Like, he did, but he didn't want to win. He expected to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's because of the mindset that he created. And this is what I want to put out there to people. That if you can't see it, you can't be. You have to create what you want because everything gets made twice. So if you can't see yourself driving that car and practicing the emotional intelligence of what it feels like owning it, then don't expect it. Mm. And I, mean, it, I guess it works on the other hand as well. If you're, like you said, thinking of bad faults, that filter inside your mind is going to look out for those. So that's why when you have a bad day, you get stuck in traffic, then you, you get into yeah. an argument and something else happens. It just goes on. And I'm yes, right. it goes on and on. You're correct, Ted. 100%, my, my friend. This is exactly what happens. Um, if you're, like, people with anxiety keep going, oh, I suffer with anxiety. I'm not saying you don't, but you shouldn't keep saying it because what happens is if you go, I suffer with anxiety, oh, I suffer, oh, I suffer really bad with anxiety. What happens is your filter starts listening. And when you say it enough, it goes, gosh, okay, let's go and prove it to you. So it looks for visual proof. So then you walk down the street, someone will look over at you and you'll think, well, they're looking at me, they think I look weird or something like that. But they won't even look at you. They're looking at fucking a taxi rank behind you or something. Yeah, yeah? Yeah. Your brain will take that information, filter it to give you anxiety. And then you'll go, oh, I've got anxiety. Yeah. And now your belief grows that you have anxiety. Then when you believe that you have anxiety, guess what? You're more likely to say it again. Oh, I have anxiety. Yeah. Visual proof. Belief. I have anxiety. And it, it becomes like a pattern. You end up becoming a genius at anxiety. And then people get on forums and they talk to each other. I've got anxiety. Oh, babe. You know, I was like that last week. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, if you focus on anxiety, you're going to attract more anxiety. It's the end, and the, the, the reticular activating system that you were saying earlier, um, that proves it. It was a group of neurons at the bottom of the brain called the reticular activating system. And it was only discovered about six years ago. But it's that filtering system where if you look, if you want to buy a new car, everywhere you go, you see that car. Um, if your missus gets pregnant, all of a sudden you see babies everywhere. And your mama go, oh, I see Julie the other day, Sansa was having kids as well, it must be sank in the water. Yeah. You ain't in the water, your filter's just fucking changed onto what, you, what you're interested in. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. And this is, this is what is what you think about, you become. It's the oldest proverb of all time. What you think about, you become. It's in the deep sea scrolls, the Egyptian walls. So anyone listening, Google the reticular activating system on YouTube and watch as many as you can. Because if you can educate yourself on that thing, you won't need therapy. You won't need anyone. If you can really, truly engrave it, yeah? Really, truly keep practicing, keep looking at it, looking at it. In this repetitive as fuck, you keep looking at it. Once that makes sense and it clicks, You'll, you'll, you'll soon change the way you think when you understand you're destroying yourself when you're thinking bad things. And, you know, I've helped people with cancer and things like that move forward and, and take on their treatment and get great results because 
when you're worrying, you're also releasing cortisol. So if you are living in a high stress state, um, like anxiety or depression, or you're worrying about things and you're looking at the bad in life, or you're thought, you think you're okay, but really you still focus on all the things that could go wrong, you release cortisol. Cortisol is an hormone that releases in the brain, which is a poison. Mm. And when this releases, it, it's, it, it, it can only come out through your pores, like alcohol. So it's getting into your organs. And wow. if you live in a higher state of stress for too long, no living organism can live in a high state of stress because it's poison. It will start rotting, you're doing damage to your liver, your kidneys, you get a tumour, you know, start the brain. Tumours like cancer is like the cure. It's trying to keep all the bad toxins in one place, but then it ends up turning into a tumour and you get cancer and it gets spread. So we need to understand that our thought process is more than just a thought process. The way we feel is, is that old biochemistry changes. So when you're sitting there feeling like that, I get people coming overweight and they go like that, and I go, visualize, visualize yourself in the body you want in, in a year's time or six months' time, and they close their eyes, and they always go like that, look. <laughs> now I know that, I know that, within about two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> go, what's she look like? They go, yeah, she looks happy, she looks, she looks really good, she's got a bikini on. I go, okay, what's she doing? She's walking down the beach. I go, how's she feel? Yeah, she feels really happy. I go, how do you know if she's happy? Can you, what can you tell when you look at her? And she's going, She's smiling. I fucking know the answer. Do you know what I mean? I go, what are you doing? And they go, oh, I'm smiling. <laughs> they don't even realise that their body's actually acting in the biochemistry of someone walking along the beach. Mm. So your conscious mind knows that it isn't real, that you ain't on the beach. You're not stupid. But the unconscious don't. It gives you the emotions. If it, the, the emotions that woman just felt was 100% real. They're not as powerful as if you was actually in that way and on the beach, but about 30, 40% of it. So... The unconsciously, them feelings when she was smiling were 100% real. So that means when she created that vision, on the brain scan, we see the cortisol level drop by 30%, 40%. We see the stress hormone drop. No antidepressant can do that. Mm. Boom. Two seconds. Bang. 30 40% cortisol drops. Not, not, there's no drug out there to do that. No, no. Then your serotonin, dopamine, endorphins start to level up to the person that's walking along the beach. Because sometimes people see the beach and they don't go like that. They go... They're feeling more content, yeah. at peace. You know what I mean? So yeah. everyone's got a different neurology. So what that image means to you, they ain't mean the same to me. And these therapists, these psychotherapists are trying to use the same fucking technique on everyone. And you can't because everyone's individual. Everyone learn how to spell at different ages, ride a bike at a different age. Like, we're all unique. We all, we all got our own associations to things, our own emotional quotient to things, yeah? So, yeah, we have to learn to create these visions of what you want that will create the biochemistry in your body to feel like that person. And then guess what? You start talking like them because this is important, right, guys? There's never been a human being in two million years while experiencing the emotion of sadness who can make a happy thought. There's never been a human being in two million years while experiencing the emotion of sadness who can make a happy thought. If you feel sad, you have to make sad thoughts, right? Yeah. If you feel anxious, your chest starts going, your belly starts turning, yeah, your brain checks you in the body and goes, you're feeling anxious right now. Someone's going to kill you. Someone owes you some money. Like, you, know, you, you're going to have cancer. Your bird's cheating on you. Whatever the fuck it is, your brain's going to make correspondent faults with that emotion. So this isn't what we've got, to, we've got to change. People with anxiety know it's fucking stupid. They're wasting their day. People scared of planes go, like, Rob, I know it's stupid. I've been on, I flew for years. I flew for five years. It's fucking stupid. When I get there, I just can't help it. Because it ain't you anymore. It's your unconscious goes, I don't trust you because you told me that to kill us. Yeah. And the minute you show me that to kill me, I ain't listening to you no more, dickhead. So fuck <laughs> you. And every time you go to the airport, it goes, you go, 
I can't do it. I mean, nah, I'm the governor now. I can't trust you anymore. Because you showed me visions of the plane crashing or you had these thoughts of it crashing. And they don't know what's wrong, it isn't. So when it gets that fear, you ain't letting go unless you reprogram it. Yeah. The language of a, the language of a feeling is feeling. You can't talk to language. You have to show it a new feeling. Language, like that language, the same language. You're speaking the same language, basically. So you close your eyes. As you're visualizing, you attract, you're, you're accessing that emotion. And how many times did I say fucking language then, Ted? I said it about 40 <laughs> times. <laughs> no. Made HD, I get all excited. But, but it's, um, good, it's good to know that it's, it's actually backed by science. Because I used to think, oh, it's like magic almost. It's attractions. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's, it's real, backed by scientists, backed by a quantum physicists, whatever you want to say. It's yeah. backed. There's evidence for it. But then uh, yeah. on that note, how much does the body and the mind, how much do they sort of work with each other? Because at your retreats, the holistic retreats, you say you work, you work on the body as well. You go for nice jogs. You go like mountain climbing. Yeah, I have a, I'll do the mind therapy. So I say to people, you, to get the best of my, start making a new change in your life is that if you're going to work on the mind, you've got to work the body. How many, how many athletes work the body? Go to any boxing gym. None of them are working their mind. Yeah. The lucky one that comes in with a good bit of vision cracks it. Mm. And he might not have been the most skillful kid. Mm. I, had, I had Johnny Nelson on the other day. Yeah, absolute legend. You listen to him speak about visualization and creation. He had, he had to chunk up his vision. He first had to see British, and he had to see. So some people go straight to the top of the vision, some chunk at levels, but they still see the next level, see the next level. And he said, when he was 14 years old, I found it quite funny. Remember, he's like a legend. He's like got the um, and once he once he become WBO champion, he's got the well well record the Guinness Book of Records of holding um, the WBO and defending it the most amount of times ever. They still got it today. Yeah. And he said, when I was 14, I was useless. He said, I was so bad at boxing. When I got to set, oh, I never had a fight until I was 17. He said, I started at 14, Rob. He went, Brendan Ingle would not let me get in the gym and have a fight because I was so bad. He said, I'd be in the gym sparring and kids would go, you've got to come and see this kid box. He's absolutely useless. And he went, <laughs> I was standing there. They won't even do it behind me back, Rob. They'd do it. So they were just standing there so in front of my face. Do you know what I mean? He went, oh, I was terrible. I lost the first three amateur fights. Lost his first three pro fights. I went on to be a, a fantastic world champion. But, you know, it was the, it was the vision that he, and Brendan Ingle was coaching him through with the visions of things. And, you know, what happened is when he first got the belief in himself, he went sparring around Europe. Um, he lost, he drew on the WBC when he should have won it. And everyone said to him, oh, what shit fight? Like, where he went, he said, ruined me. He said, the soul was drawing me. He said, so I was out sparring. I was getting paid some money to go there, go here. So I was out in, um, Toulouse in France, and he said, this geezer, I could have beat him up. He said, but my trainer used to say, don't beat him up, just practice moving, like, give him a couple of clumps, but they're paying you. You want to go back, you want yeah. people to know if you're knocking people out, you're not going to get any work jobs. So, like, so he said, I'm slipping shots and all that. He said, um, he said, I come out of the gym one day, I crossed the road, and as I was crossing the road, I heard, John, Johnny, the French boxer, went to him, I'll see you tomorrow. And I was going back to this shit hotel. One bedroom, it stunk. It was disgusting. I was saying all these five hotels. And I looked and I waved at him and I thought, what does this picture look like? I'm going back to the, I can beat him up. But I'm going back to this little dive. He's getting in a stretch limousine with some beautiful woman, going back to his beautiful ass. And I'm standing here. And he said, oh, that was the moment I said to myself, I'm never going to lose again. Oh, yeah. And he said, from that day, I've never lost again. He went into WBO and he, he retired from WBO undefeated with the, as a champ, as the world champion, yeah? Not undefeated career, but as holding the belt. 
And um, that's what I mean. When you get that belief comes, when it actually comes, it can take you years, but you don't need to take you that long. If you're practicing the visualizations, if he knew what he knew now, he'd have done it at the beginning. He wouldn't have waited all that time. So yeah. he said, when I won the British, I didn't think I was good. Well, I just thought the other guy was bad. <laughs> so I didn't want to believe in him myself. I just thought he was shit. And he said, that was how I got my way through. And the, Brit and the European, I thought, he's useless. So I won. I thought I was good. I thought he was really bad. And but when he got to WBC, I had to look at yourself and it all went wrong. Mm. So, yeah, we've got to, we, it's, it's all about creating what you want. Everything gets made twice. No matter where you come from, anything can be done, anything can be achieved. Um, but you have, to have a, you have to have a vision of your outcome. You've got to see where you're going. I say to people all the time, it's like a satellite navigation system, um, Ted. If you don't put a postcode in it, how can it fucking direct you anywhere? Yeah. You can't take it nowhere. You don't know where it's going, does it? It's yeah. just a bit of plastic on the screen. Your RES is just a bit of flesh floating in the middle of your skull. You don't put a postcode in it, so your vision is your postcode. And then it will work out like a sat-nav. It sends a vibration to the universe. It's the satellite. It comes back down and goes, Bosh, we know where you are. In 100 yards, do a left. It, tell, it doesn't tell you the old journey. It tells you a little bit at a time before you need to know it. Mm. And that's how your RES system goes. It starts to generate information behind the scenes, done unconsciously. See, me and you can run seven pieces of data a second. The RES system runs 10 billion. No, sorry, 2 million. 2 million. 10 billion unconscious minds. Say 2 million... Um, two million pieces of data a second, the RES system alone. So this thing can figure the information for you to get it, but you've got to mind your own business and shout the outcome. You don't, you just like getting a sat-nav, you don't get a sat-nav, put a postcode in and go, I don't believe you. And we'll check out and get the AAE map out and then start mm -hmm. learning your own, like, why would you do that? You don't, you don't do it. You, you don't program the sat-nav every road it's got to go down. It, it's done it for you. That's the same as this. You allow the machine to do it. So you put your vision in, you don't try to figure out how to get there. You practice your visualizations on a daily basis. You keep believing it's coming. And, and the science proves that this part of the brain will generate information. Like you might be at work. You, this, you, won't, you won't even know you're doing it. There's some geezer you ate. He's a right prick. And all of a sudden you think, you go and talk to him. You think, you know what? He's a right. He is. Yeah. He, he's changed. He has. No, he ain't changed. Your filter changed. And he knows he's got something good to tell you because you don't do what he does. And you need that bit of information. Yeah. It's all done at an unconscious level. You don't even know you're doing it. Right. This is what, it's been studied so much, it's unbelievable. Um, so, not trying to figure out the route is the hardest thing for people to do because they're brought up academically and they need to know how not to make mistakes. Yeah. Well, this is about, fuck that, I'm just visualising the mind of my own business. Mm. And people go, it's that easy. That's what people scares people. They're scared of letting go. But people have more faith in a sat-nav than their own brain. They have faith to put a code. They go, you take me to me goal. Yeah. Yeah, then, then their own goal, then their own brain. It's mental. Yeah. because we're just not taught this way of thinking and it's sad we've got to think towards what we want not what we don't want mm. yeah you don't want to come away from it oh I want to lose weight fuck that you want to be thin at least get the fucking message straight at least face in the right direction mm. and this is what I've been trying to do with these um, them live talks I've been doing throughout the um, pandemic is keeping people moving forward trying to keep them to yeah. focus on what they want in the future you know what I mean yeah they're, they're, they are really they're really really good I've, I've watched uh, three of them now uh, the live with Tamir, uh, Jack, and Tommy Mallet, and they were powerful. Yeah, they're good, aren't they? Yeah, but that's what I wanted you on here because the young people listening to this now, it's coming to the end of the, the podcast, and I know for a fact that they would have taken something from here and realised, like you said, how easy it is to put that postcode in and say, right, this is what I want, I'm off. See you later sort of thing. I, I'm going to go get it. I'm not looking back. And you, you can create, create it. That's exactly it. You can... One million percent, you're correct. As long as you can see it, 
everything else can anything else can happen. And people go, just think about, look at it like this. You're doing it all the time if you believe it, if you know it or not. Another way of explaining it, I've got you, another way of making it easier for people to understand is that when you make a cup of tea, when you want a cup of tea, what do you what do you focus on? The taste. You feel like you want a warm cup of tea. That's it. You want a taste of a cup of tea, right? And saying warm to warm you up, if it's the winter or whatever, yeah. You don't focus on making the cup of tea, the journey, because mm. if you focus on everything you had to do to make a cup of tea, you won't fucking do it. Because your yeah. brain will go fuck that. <laughs> so imagine if I went to me, Mrs. Babe, do you want a cup of tea? She went, go on, I'll have one, Rob. I went, all right then. Right, I'm going to get up, lift me left knee up. Put my foot forward, walk to the kitchen door, put my hand on the kitchen handle, pull it down, open it. Walk into the kitchen, walk over to the fridge, open the fridge, pull out the milk. Shut the kitchen door. You get where I'm going with, didn't you? I'm yeah, pouring yeah, myself yeah. already. Unscrew <laughs> I ain't got the fucking cups out yet. So you can imagine, you had to think about every step, getting the sugar, picking it up, pouring it in. Imagine if you had to think about every bit of... You'd go, fuck that, nah, I ain't fucking making it, wouldn't you? Yeah. But, but when you just want a cup of tea, or you fancy one, or a cup of coffee, or whatever, you go... Oh, fancy cup of tea, babe. And you go to the fridge and no milk. You're like, fuck, back in a minute. You jump in the moat, you fly down the shop, you get your milk, you come back, you make yourself both a cup of coffee. But if she had gone to me half an hour ago, go down the shop, go, fuck off, you go down there. What's the matter with you? Be your own, be your own motor out there, you gone. Do you know what I mean? But because, you, because you've got a vision, you don't focus about the, you don't focus on the journey. You just, when you stay focused to what you want, you don't even notice the journey, the pain you have to go through and all the job you have to do. You don't care. You don't want to focus on the journey. That's going to take, you know, there might be some pain and suffering, there'll be loads of fun. Who gives a shit? When you're focusing on the outcome, you'll do whatever it takes. You're going and, you know what I mean? That makes complete sense. And talking about your journey, that's a nice segue. Final hard-hitting question. When your journey's sort of spread out, what do you want your legacy to be at the end of it? Have you sort of thought about that? or? Yeah, first thing, mate. First, the UMT sentence. I've got my TV shows, I've got my books, I've got all loads of stuff I visualise. I've got me, me retreat in California. I like living in California. I do public speaking. But all the, when all the money comes in, I'm going to get to that level up. I'm going to try to, I've got someone I might get to, I've been speaking to someone, trying to get the funding from the lottery to do it. So I don't want to earn out of this. I don't want to earn out of this. I want to give money to all this, if anything. I want to um, open up my UMT sentence. That's my legacy. I want working class areas. Fuck the middle class. They're half all right. They're half, they can, they can eat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. These people can't eat. They're going to stab you for 20 quid. Fuck that. Let's get into their minds. Let's help them. Let's give them some direction so that they can do it. They can believe. And, you know, you might not be able to help all of them because, at the end of the day, if they're hearing more negative than good, you can only affirmations. But the one affirmations don't work for me. Affirmations don't work for you. If you say, I'm great, I'm beautiful, I'm happy, then the rest of the day you're going, I'm so thick, I'm such a cunt. Why did I fuck that up? I always fuck my life up. <laughs> you slag yourself of 80% of the day and give yourself 10 minutes a day affirmation. Well, of course it ain't going to fucking work. It's yeah. a state you have to create. So that's why the visualis visualizations are more important because you're creating the emotional quotient, yeah? Mm. And that, and that sustains itself a lot longer. And you build these neuro pathways. So when you're visualizing, the other thing in the science research that we see, when someone visualizes a goal, in your brain, you have these little lines, yeah, they're called pathways. And we see like one open up like that. And the energy flies through it. So when you create a new vision, if you was to be on a brain scan now, like, Ted, pick a new, a new goal, right? And you go, Rob, right, I want a, a Ducati, right? Yeah. Right, go sweet. And I go, close your eyes, visualize yourself on it. Now on the brain scan, we see this little line light up somewhere and so we'd find it go there it is on f3 or whatever on the map on the chart there it is and we can see this little line and measure it and they'll stop now now stop thinking about it said now you stop thinking about it it slowly wear off now we could time that it might take four seconds to wear off right 
give you a break. Ted, visualize the exact image again. You close your eyes, you visualize it, you access the emotion. We see the, the same line light up. When we recorded it, it was like 0.2 of a second longer the second time. Only a fraction of a second longer, but it was a little bit longer, it wore off. Then they visualize it again, it's a full second, it's 20 seconds, or, you know, you don't get it, a minute, 20 minutes. And yeah. all of a sudden, after about 28, between 28 and 30 days, boom, it's on. We go, stop thinking about it, and you go, I have. We're still on, Ted. Yeah. Like, I don't fucking, I'm not thinking about it. Cancer 10, one, two, three, four. What's going on here? Think of a duck. It, it doesn't matter, what you, it's there, it becomes now a neuro pathway. That's, That's when you right. get the shift from the conscious mind to the unconscious mind. Like, yeah. you know when you learn to drive, it's, it's, it's your conscious mind. You drive, Ted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you have your driving lesson, yeah, mm. um, you get in the car, and you think consciously everything. When you have a first lesson, right, clutch down into first gear, check my belt, my mirrors. Like it's all like it's like five or six things. It's not normal. Yeah. Like rev, little bit of acceleration, take foot off the clutch. Like, like mirror, like, clutch down, indicate. Like, like you're over the gap, aren't you? Yeah. It's just everywhere. But once you've been doing it long enough, there's a shift that happens. It takes place when the pathway builds, and it they shift into the unconscious mind. And now, I know you shouldn't, I've lost my license a few times, but I've done it a few days. Like, yeah, what's happening, mate, on the phone? Who's round there? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. All right, okay, so I'll, I'll be round. All right, tell me, mate. Bye, mate. Bye. Well, we'll gear you in. I don't fucking argue him in. <laughs> don't, yeah, I don't gear you in. Yeah, I'll yeah. yeah. oh, yeah. indicate back there. Um, I think I did. Yeah, he did. I did. Yeah, she said I did indicate. You, don't, you ain't got a fun clue what you're doing. Yeah. It becomes unconscious. You'd be on the phone chatting, looking at... Most people don't even know, don't even know how they got somewhere. They end up in trance, looking at the road so much. They don't even know where they're overtaking. They don't even know what they're doing because yeah. it goes unconscious. So this is what I'm saying. Once you visualize enough, this pathway builds. So when you're visualizing your goal, you're building this pathway. Once it lights up, illuminates, now you get out of bed in the morning and you feel like a millionaire. Mm. That's the trick. Miami Daly felt like a world champion way before he was a world champion. Mm. Millionaires generally feel like millionaires before they're millionaires. They start speaking the language of success. They yeah. start, well, when I get my Ferrari, what are you fucking on about Ferrari? You skint your mouth. <laughs> and then they go and crack it. Or... Um, Richard Branson, like another, they call Richard Branson a visionary. He's yeah. someone's created a plane to go out in space, to get Australia an hour, and fuck it, he's talking about a plane in space. Yeah. And now he's got it, hasn't he? The Virgin Galactic goes out, which ran the world, going to do underground flight or something like that. You know? McGregor as well, he, he's, he's probably like one of the most famous ones nowadays, like the past few years. He said exactly what he's going to do and did it to a T, you know what I mean? Yeah, McGregor's one of my favourites. Mm. I've got a clip I always show people. And he goes, when I was in Ireland, I used to drive around in a banger of a car, but I had to push start. Have you seen it? Yeah. Yeah, bump start it, yeah. And he said, but in my head, I, I was driving a soft top Bentley around beautiful California. Imagine pissing down the rain in Ireland, freezing cold. He's in this old banger, but he'd daydream and visualize that he was driving his Bentley. And if he told anyone that, you'd think it was a nutcase. But he says, I am now I am driving around in a soft top Bentley in beautiful California. That's what I do. That's, you know what I mean? And if you look oh. at a lot of his fights, like Miami Dali, you predict a lot of them. How he's going to do What shot with Jose, wasn't it? You yeah. see the Jose one. Was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you, see, you see videos in practicing two months before. Jump, pivot into the side, find that left hook. Mate, the shot come out. He said he was going to throw the right hand. He threw the right arm, overextended with the left, with a jab, hit him with a left hand. Boom, that was it. It's like 15 yeah. seconds or 17 seconds, wasn't it? It was mental. Yeah. Um, and he predicted it. He predicted the one before that as well. Um, that was the maddest prediction I see him do. What was his name? Oh, I think it was one. Of, it was one of the, who did he fight before? Do you remember? Uh, oh, not Diaz. He lost to Diaz, didn't he? Um, yeah, it's before that. Before, before he won the world championship. Ah, oh, fuck. But anyway, I've been watching documentaries, yeah? And there was one of them. It's the maddest prediction I've seen. He says, 
I've done too many times the fella's name. Anyway, he, the geezer that he's fighting, he's Mexican, I saying, he's in um he's in a radio station and McGregor's in his Bentley whizzing through California and got like the cameras in there and he's talking through. And he said, Tara's gonna go. He said, I'm gonna beat you up for the first round. Second or third round, you're gonna take me down and you because you're good at grappling and take me down. He went, but I'm gonna get out of your clutches and I'm gonna knock you out and then I'm gonna finish you off, right? What a weird prediction that is, isn't it? Right? That's just just that was just weird, I thought. But that's how you see the fight going. And if you watch the fight, it was the same thing. He hits Connor, but he gets Connor in his in the clutches on the thing, hits Connor with an elbow, he splits Connor's face there, and Connor gets up and goes, right, right, <laughs> as if to say, I told you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, everyone with your eyes cut me, he gets, goes, told you it was gonna happen. And he gets out of it and then bang, he just irons him out. Um I can't his name, but he yeah, it's, it's the fight before yeah, fight Ch- Chaz Mandes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Chaz Mandes, his name was. Um, but a prediction, I thought, what a mad prediction. But see, Albert Einstein said a great quote, stupid people think there's a fine line between genius and madness. Mm. Stupid people think there's a fine line between genius and madness. Because geniuses talk out and predict the future. And everyone goes, McGregor, he's off his fucking head. No, he ain't. He's just telling you the truth. Mm. He's telling you what he sees. He visualizes every day. Getting it. He said on one interview I see him, he said, the minute I stepped into the octagon, the first ever time, I was already world champion in my head. I see it in my head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've already got them belts. It is mad how you can, like we said, just from your mind, like you said, creating your mind, and then out there. It's mad, isn't it? Definitely. It's like, and think about what you're doing with, your, with what you're doing now with your podcast. Now you had to create that idea in your head. Mm. Now you're creating it, and, and it's brilliant what you're doing, Ted. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that. That's because you created it. So you've made it work. It's simple as, and. It starts to flow. Energy starts to flow once it's, it's in momentum. Do you know what I mean? And if it's in momentum, it's going good and it sort of slows down. It's because maybe the same bigger now for you to... But it's got too big. Mm. And that little energy, that little energy feel can't hold it. needs to go a bit bigger now. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. It's just move, moving on. Mm. So I've done my lives. Now I'm moving to telly. Do you know what I mean? Moving to telly, who knows what will happen. But that's, that's like... That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm creating. Mm. And... No one can tell me fuck all because no one can change the way you see yourself. What I've done wrong as a kid in a council is that like everyone tells you you're a mug. You're a, like everyone's counting each other, mm-hmm. and you, you don't want to be mugged off. So you don't talk, or you know. But if you see yourself through other people's eyes, you're never going to be successful. What they, what someone else sees in you, isn't who you have to be. Even if it was who you was, you don't yeah. have to be. You don't have to be who you are. No one can change the way you see yourself. And if you see yourself as the most successful therapist in the world, I introduce myself. I don't go, you know, I'm, I'm a good therapist. I say, I'm the UK's number one unconscious mind therapist. They fucking ask you for your permission. I see myself fucking two, three years before you even knew I was. Do you know what I mean? As the, yeah. as the greatest, as the best therapist in the UK. <coughs> so I model these, these successful people and I apply their mindset myself. Yeah. And Because the, and the, the, if you apply the, 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 the same process to fault, only the same outcome can happen. Do you know what I mean? If you're thinking of no future, you can get depressed. That's what depression is. Thoughts of what's happening in the here and now in the past. And when your thoughts go from here and now to the past, here and now to the past, I've lost my job, I've had my job now, I could go out, oh, I wish my third girlfriend never left me. And you go back on this fucking loop. If you can't see a future without it, or a new, then you're going to be, that is depression. Yeah. And my dad died, I couldn't see the world without him. So I kept thinking of today with shit and then missing my dad, thinking of him dying and all that shit. That's depression. So, the process is to the thought of the same in everyone's brain. Anxiety is taking a bad past experience, either yours or someone else's that you've seen, 
the friend in the future and seeing it happening to you in the future. Well, I'm going to go over there because that might happen to me again. You, that, ain't, that, ain't, that ain't a creation of the future. That's a recreation of the past. Mm. That, ain't a visual, that ain't a visualization. That's taking a bad past experience and throwing it in the future. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. You have to create new, 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 a new you. And don't worry about how to get there. You know what I mean? Let the RES system figure it out. On that note, I could talk to you for hours and hours. Yeah. Um, like I no, said, thank you, Seth. No, you, you've said so many good things that I'm going to implement personally. Um, and I hope people listening will be able to sort of, it will flick that switch for them and they'll be able to go out and do certain things. Um, but final thing, last, if there's any messages you want to get out, anything you want people to go and do, go and see. If anyone's interested in getting their body and mind in gear, want, want a new start, you want to get a reset button, come to the Holistic Retreat. It's just moved it from our bad to Barcelona. The website is www.theholisticretreat.com. My therapy, my therapy page is thehypnotistman.com thehypnotistman.com if anyone suffers with anxiety, depression or whatever. But most of all, what I want to say to everyone is please focus on what you want, not what you don't want. Focus on where you're going, not what you've got to come away from. Yeah? Just focus straight away. If we've learned to focus in the right direction, it'll save a lot of anxiety and depression we've going on in the world anyway. We'd drop it by 80% just by getting people to focus in the right direction. So start to learn to focus in the right direction. Learn to visualize 30 seconds each go a day. You know, it's nothing. Anyone can, if you don't, if you can't spare two minutes of your day to create some visualizations, then you don't deserve to move forward. You can't give that up two minutes at 4,400 minutes, I think there is in a day. Two of them. So I'm asking you to do a minute in the morning, two little goals in the morning, two little goals at night. Start off like that. And if you're, and if you're like, this is all new to you and your belief's struggling, then create little goals next week, a month's time. I'm a month's time, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go out walking today, but I'm going to be walking 10 miles by next week. Keep visualising, visualising it. And when it happens, you go, well, it worked for that. I might have to, for two months, I'll try something a bit bigger. And you can chunk up to you to get used to it, you know? And then once you start getting used to it, like me, you start getting greedy. You start thinking, fuck that, I want more, I want more than that. And, but I know my driver, my driver underneath it all is to go and help people with the, with the, with the UMT centres. That's what I want. When I die, I want my UM, Robert ISC Unconscious Mind Therapy Centres all over the gaff. That's like... In, across England, and if I could take it further, I will. But that's my my thing is working class because it touches it touches home with me. Um, because when I was a kid on the bottom of me, it's a bit I might have forgot. Walking down the stairs, holding my mum's hand in the nineteen eighties, going to school with heroin needles and sick on the floor. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's what I was brought up around. Look at that, mum, come, come here, get away from that. Do you know what I mean? Don't touch any needles. She's got to me. Silly needle, don't touch it. It's disgusting, isn't it? No kid should be brought up around that fucking filth. Yeah. And that's how it was. So I don't. I really want to help working class areas. There's no help there. There ain't no help in them working class areas. I'm telling you that. Mm. And people that do try to help, but normally middle class, you know, they're goody good. It's like hug trees and shit. And, but they're not going to build rapport. So we need to make the proper effort to get into them um, young enough to help them create that vision. Do you know what I mean? And I don't care what they want to do either. You do whatever you want. None of my business is what you want to do, but like, at least be the best at whatever you want to do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, powerful, man. I wish you all the best of luck. You don't, you don't need my sort of, uh, my sort of say on that. But it seems like you're smashing it. Thank you. And like I said, it's it's powerful. So the young people need it, especially during this time. So thanks for coming on, and thanks for. I appreciate it. And will you send it over to me so I can post it? I want to post it out there. Mate, yeah, hundred percent. It'll be out yeah, all, uh, this week, Sunday. So I'm, I feel really honoured for having me on. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, Ted. Absolute okay. gentleman, mate. Thank you. And we'll catch up soon, eh? And have a couple of lagers when this is over eh yeah definitely yeah, I want to do one of your great. sessions as well so yeah I'll definitely count me yes. in mate we'll have a chat later eh we'll have a message after this perfect alright
Love thank it. you, Ted. Take thank care, you, mate. Man. God bless you. If only they knew the hub for young business minds.